Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Dallas Geek. If this is your first time joining us, thank you so much. Uh, but for all of our returning uh, viewers slash listeners, because you know, this is the podcast for Dallas Geek, uh, welcome back. As always, I'm Brad. Uh, the next voice you're going to hear is the uh, wonderful, sometimes conspiracy theory-oriented uh, Mike. Uh, Mike, how are you doing today? Is it a conspiracy theory if it's proven true, Brad? Well, that depends. Is your proven true uh, Facebook proved it true or like real people proved it true? You know, the, the, the Brad, actual smart people. Brad, Brad, you and I both know that Facebook is in on it. They are in on everything. <laughs> well, I mean... They got to be in on something, especially this week, since they're not exactly having the the best time, you know, with, with the whole crash thing. Uh, we uh, eh. we can we can curse on these, right? You're okay oh, yeah. with the language yeah. on these? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you saw Zucker- I mean, fuck Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> you, you see how much fucking money he lost? Holy shit! Seventy billion. Which I'm gonna be honest, yeah. I'm not really crying over that one. Um, no, nope. less money for the lizard people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, if for any of our returning viewers, listeners, however you'd like to think of yourselves out there, we, we love you all the same. Um, Sadomasochist. Meh. I mean, that that is pretty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I mean, for the returning uh fans out there uh mm-hmm. you'll remember that we have a, a bit of a love hate relationship with facebook so seeing facebook uh take a, a bit of a hit is um we're, we're not shedding any tears right now uh let, let's just yep. say that <laughs> no, definitely not oh man but our problems with the internet and the social medias aside um Mm-hmm. Guys, uh, thank you uh, once again for joining us. If this is your first time, uh, here's the quick, uh, absolutely shameless shilling that we mm-hmm. must do at the beginning of every show. Um, if you have not already, uh, if you would like to see the videos for our interviews and live shows, please don't forget to go check us out over on Facebook uh, and on youtube facebook we are at dallas geek and uh on youtube uh we are dallas geek or uh youtube.com forward slash dallas geek official and you'll be able to find all of our stuff uh don't forget to like and follow over on facebook like and subscribe on youtube uh of course hit that little notification bell on youtube because uh as smart as the YouTube algorithm likes to think it is without hitting that notification bell. It may or may not tell you when we post uh, a a new thing over there. So, you know, be sure to do that. And of course, if you want to be able to catch the audio of our lives or interviews, and of course, these audio exclusive podcasts that come out, we'll say most Thursdays, we're trying to be consistent uh, sometimes. (laughs) Uh, You can catch all of that over on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher because reasons. So, yay. Reasons and such, I, I do believe. Yeah, reasons and such. 
I mean that that is the the thing, right? That, that that's how everybody says it. I mean, just yeah, it's, just, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, sure. Question yeah. mark. But on that note, um, so with this being our uncensored audio podcast, just fair warning before we dive into our topic of the day, uh, as always. Because this is very uncensored, please understand this is not meant to be kid friendly. So um, if you don't want to hear uh, all of the uh, naughty words that uh, their teachers are going to end up blaming you for, uh, please don't let your kids listen to us Um, or do, you know, I guess it's your call, but, you know, just don't blame us. Sure. But that about I right. Mean, you, you know, you know what I say. Oh, yeah. Teach them young. Teach them right. And if they can curse out their teacher by first grade, you've probably done something good. Is, no, I was just going to say, fuck them. <laughs> Same difference. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Uh, but with that, Mike, what is our topic of the day? Um... It's a great question because all the days are just running together at this point. Uh, I believe today we are talking about, and you can correct me if I'm wrong at some point, but hmm, sure, sure. I believe we are talking about the Cregassants, if you will. Is that a term? Is it, um, like, like, is that I, a thing? I, I just coined it. Huh. Okay. That's why it took me a second. <laughs> there we go. The, now, the, the loveliness that, of Daniel um, Craig on screen. Well, just what he brought to a role that he is leaving after 15 years. Which is very which is crazy to think about. Well, which is crazy to think about 15 years, but it's only five movies. Oh, yeah. And I mean, especially look back how long. Uh, well, we're talking James Bond. <laughs> yes, uh, we're talking Bond. But uh, how long was uh, Connery? Uh, in the position again. I'm, I'm <sighs> a drawing a momentary uh, blank. Yeah, that's a great question. Go ahead and keep talking. I got it. Well, fair enough. Um, yes, yeah, so we, we are talking about Daniel Craig's time as James Bond and uh, kind of looking back to see what he brought to the character and uh, really how good or not his time as James Bond really was um, obviously uh, 15 years is a long time to break down analyze and just severely overanalyze every aspect of his performance as a character that has been around for decades at this point and for a lot of people around the world uh, has a very high place in their regards of cinematic favorite characters or even just strong opinions about what that character is supposed to be. So there are plenty of ways we can take this, but we are going to obviously break this down by mostly our opinions, but we're going to go ahead and say our opinion is correct. uh, And the only opinion you really need to listen to because, you know, we're, we're we're right. (laughs) So yes, that is, that is, we are never wrong. (laughs) <laughs> so Connery, 62 was Dr. No. 67 was You Openly Live Twice. Then George Lazenby took over for his one 
I mean, do we really yeah. count Lazenby? Really? Um, then Connery came back for Diamonds Are Forever in 71. So Connery was 62 to 71. But here's the thing. Well, when did uh, took, Roger Moore take over? Roger Moore took over in 73 after Connery. Connery only came back for the one film. So do we count the time between his last film and Roger's first as him still technically being Bond? Or do we cut it off at the uh, premiere of the his last film? I think that what, depends on if we're correct? going to recognize... I think that depends on if we're going to recognize George Lazenby's turn as Bond or not. Mm, <laughs> fair point. Okay. But, so, yeah. but to give you an idea, so Dr. No hit theaters in 62, right? Sure. Okay. From Russia with Love, from Russia with Love was 63, Goldfinger was 64, Thunderball was 65, and You Only Live Twice was 67. So they were basically cranking out a Bond film a, a year. Okay fair um well i guess uh and then, the question is is daniel craig the longest running bond it's a great question by years he might be mm. roger see, moore connery, was 70 connery was uh 62 to uh, 67 uh, with a one-off in 71 and 71, a one-off right. in 83, technically. Uh, Niven. Oh, yeah. Uh, Niven, Niven. I, I, I don't know which one is technically correct. I'm, I'm not going to try too hard on that one. Uh, he was 67. Yep. Uh, Lazen B was 69. Six. Roger <laughs> Moore was 72 to 85. Uh, Dalton right. was 86 to 94. And mm -hmm. oh, here we go. Brosnan was 94 to 2004, so he was a full decade. Um, yeah. So, do we have anybody that beats a decade? No. Uh, Roger Craig, Moore. 15 years. Roger Moore. Uh, well, Roger was Moore was coming 13. in at 13. So, yeah, yeah. Daniel Craig is the longest running uh, Bond with Roger Moore coming in second at 13 years. Yep. So. I mean, that that's impressive, especially when you consider that there is a very strong divide in the fandom about who's the best Bond. And normally the argument feels very Star Trek uh, as far as, you know, the Kirk versus Picard uh, thing uh, when it comes down to people talking. OK, was it Connery or Moore uh, was the better Bond? Because somehow that's what it always whittles down to. Um, right. And. Moore was long uh, was drastically longer as Bond than Connery was, which means technically you would think he should have had a better chance of being the considered the better Bond, quote unquote, mm -hmm. uh, just because he had more time in the role. So technically he shaped the role and the character more than Connery ever did, at least by the numbers. I mean, that's fair. That's very fair. Um you know, that's a really good question because it uh, tonally the movies were still they weren't the same, but they were similar, right? Like, well, because the whole thing was, was that every sort of. every actor kind of put their own little spin on the character. <clears throat> well, sort of. So it's actually really funny that uh, we're talking about this portion of the 
the the dynamics of James Bond because right wisecracked uh, who I, I I'm a massive fan of a lot of their video essays um, but they actually released a video on Monday uh, of this week um, breaking down the history of James Bond and explaining uh, how each actor shaped the character and why the particular spin uh, for each actor's version of Bond uh, mattered uh, to the times that the movies uh, were coming out. And it really came down to part, only partially that actor's decision about how they wanted to play the character and a lot more about the fact that James Bond, from a writer's perspective, was the character and the stories around the character were a a way to be able to reflect uh, what society and pop culture needed uh, as far as their spy escapism for that time you know so connery Mm -hmm. you know uh was right after world war ii needing uh that big um ladies man adventurer that uh would take what fleming originally did uh with the character immediately after world war ii and trying to uh reinfuse some awe back into british pop culture uh and connery came in took that and took a little bit of the uh, elegance out of the character's mannerisms and performance and pushed more towards the ultra manly part of it. Uh, right. But by the time more came around, that version of the character in those type of stories were going to be too abrasive because, you know, Vietnam. So uh, they softened oh, why, the character. Why would that, be? Went, uh, that, why would was, that be such a bad thing? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and, and, and so, you know, certain 73, they brought in more, softened the character, right. took him back to a little bit closer to what the original Fleming character was as far as the more elegant and graceful approach to the character, you know, that more suave guy. Uh, but then sure. by the time uh, Pierce Brosnan came in uh, to the role, you know, Dalton had already kind of continued the same ideas. Uh, Roger Moore, Pierce Brosnan came in and took it uh, with a bit more of a tongue in cheek approach, but still Mm. that more softened idea, but really emphasizing the outlandish cartoony aspects of the character. So, you know, it was all going to the times and what people needed for that times escapism. And obviously in the 90s. It was a thing, you know. You needed escape. Are you trying to, are you trying to tell me that driving in an Aston Martin across a glacier ice cap upside down and then shooting an ejector seat to flip it right side back up is cartoony? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Don't forget the uh, the whole escaping the giant space laser that was chasing him. I mean, you you, you can't forget that one. That no, I can. Mm. No, trust me, I can. <laughs> or the supposed, um, you know, North Korean uh, that got plastic surgery to go white faced uh, and, and be, a, you know, pretend to be a British guy. I mean, that that's always a, a fun look back. Mm. Yeah, we uh, 
<laughs> Bond, uh, the, that, the, the Bond franchise definitely went through some dark years, if we're being honest. Yeah, but I mean, in fairness, there there always has been a purpose to how Bond has been reinterpreted, uh, especially sure. when you look at this being a bit of British um, contribution to pop culture. And before Bond ever came out, you already had precedent for how the character of Bond was going to be treated between actors uh, with how British pop culture treated the different actors that play the doctor on Doctor Who and how that changed the storytelling and characters and how well that was received by the general public. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Um, No, definitely. No, it definitely does. Um, You know, I will say that Britain's biggest contribution to pop culture was probably losing the Revolutionary War to us. Good job, guys. Wow. That's right. (laughs) Hashtag shots fired across the pond. Suck it. Wow. I sure. Let's go with that. I'm just saying. (laughs) And we won the war of 1812. So technically it's two nothing Two nothing. It's what we got. I mean, does that does the war of 1812 really count as a victory for anybody? Honestly, are we still I mean, here? In retrospect, it still feels like the War of 1812 was kind of a dumb thing to begin with. So why d- does that really count as a I, win? I don't dis I, I don't disagree. It wasn't it, it wasn't a dumb thing. But at the same time, are we still here? I mean, was that something that was really in question at any point during the War of 1812? <laughs> I don't know, man. You know how those uh, you know how those English are about colonizing and empire building. I mean, eh, it's fair, but I mean, shit. Just look at Australia. I mean, is it still too soon on that one? Yeah, probably, <laughs> especially after that terrible movie. <sighs> <laughs> but no, but no, but anyway, I, I think you're I think you're right on with that about, you know, what society looked like at the time, really having a strong impact on the way that the actor that was brought in to play the character played him. And I think that that's really evident with Craig's run as Bond, especially in a post 9-11 world. Like. Uh, that opening to Casino Royale where he gets his double O license like it was gritty and it was dark and it was you're just kind of like holy shit okay um huh like there's no tongue in cheek quip back at the guy there's no like he was literally sent to kill a Russian de facto double agent yes but and this is the the part that's always kind of fascinated me about Daniel Craig's introduction as James Bond. Um, when you look at the other movies that came out around the same time uh, of the the spy genre, um, mm-hmm. you know, you have your Jason Bournes, you have your mm-hmm. uh, Mission Impossibles, you you have, you know. 
a bunch of other like special ops style movies that in the wake of 9-11, that whole genre and adjacent genres of action uh, within the action uh, realm uh, all came back to have a very specific tone. You know, it was all a dark tone that was meant to show, hey, um, these type of characters are intended to be uh, badass uh, murderers that we root for because yay killing, uh, especially when you uh, hear the boom, boom explosions uh, and, and get to see the, the the neck snap or whatever bullshit was the, the thing for that particular movie. No, um, no, no, no. The next snap was Steven Seagal. That was the 80s. Well, remember, it came back in the 2000s and in the 2010s with, you know, uh, a certain unnamed, desaturated superhero film. But, we'll, you know, that, that's a different conversation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the thing that always fascinated me about Daniel Craig's introduction as Bond was it's, the movie starts off feeling... You know, uh, with, with Casino mm-hmm. Royale, it starts off feeling like it's going to try to hit all of those same tropes that all of its contemporaries were hitting. But then it takes a little bit of a left turn and says, yes, mm-hmm. we're going to show the violence. We're going to show uh, how honestly brutal this character should be in the context of a little bit more uh, of a realistic perspective. But mm-hmm. if you guys really want fucking realism, let's go ahead and show you fucking realism and show, yeah. hey, the character gets hurt. They're not going to uh, he's not going to bounce back uh, right after. You know, you're going to see the di- toll that the damage on his body takes and how that affects him physically and psychologically. You're going to see how his alcoholism mm-hmm. and uh womanizing and misogyny uh, comes back and affects him over time and that's just within one movie uh, the second you get yeah. into the rest of his movies you see that this their intent was to show yeah it, he, it can still be a fun action movie but to also throw in enough realism to go oh fuck okay so James Bond is supposed to be a tragic action hero got it I, 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 I understand yes, now like yeah, and very much so. And that's something that I think was lost on the character for a while um, that I think they've done a really good job with the Craig movies bringing back is like how tragic he actually is. Um, they do a really good job of showing that in Casino Royale. Like, you know, when Emma's is sitting there talking to him, like, you know, I knew it was too early to promote you. And he's just like, well, it's OK, because I understand that, you know, us double O's don't exactly have a long life expectancy. Or, you know, the scene after they kill the, I think it was, I can't remember, was it the Ugandans that try to kill Mads Mikkelsen's character? And they kill him in the stairwell and Vesper has to help and then he goes and finds Mm, her in the shower. Because then she's like, the blood just won't come off. And he sits down in the shower with her and tries to comfort her. You're like, okay, like he's actually a person. But he's also got an ego. Oh, yeah. Because he basically like, oh, yeah, he's like, when they first check into Casino Royale, he's like, well, the name's Bond, but I think you have it under. Can't even remember the name off the top of my head, but like he's arrogant, like he's oh yeah, he's he's the like he's the big dick energy. Just got the promotion. I know that I'm better than everybody else. 
and it gets him in over his head multiple times in the film. Yeah, and, and he's got to figure out really quick how to get out of that. And they do a really good job of showing you at times like, holy shit, like as badass as Bond has been in the past, like, no, like he he's a human being that can get fucked up just like everybody else. Yeah. And honestly, that's awesome. I mean, it's tragic, mm-hmm. but it's kind of awesome. Yeah. Uh, like the fucking the torture scene is still something when you actually that, look I at mean, it. I, I, I still like I, I feel phantom pain watching that uh, scene yes. even today. I And I've seen that uh, scene probably 50 times at this point. And I yeah, still like Kyla, hurt for him when I watch it. Yeah, Kyla. <laughs> Kyla's not a big Bond person, but I made her sit down and watch Casino Royale. And we got to that scene when he cuts the fucking hole out of the chair. She's like, what's about to happen? I was like, um, <laughs> Yeah, about that. Like we saw that we saw that in theaters, and like I remember looking over to you, and I think Warren we because we Warren took us because Warren had already seen it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Our buddy Warren, and he was like, "Yeah," I, like I just looked over at you and Warren. I was like, "What the fuck are we about to watch?" Yeah. And Warren was like, "Yeah, it's about to get really uncomfortable really fast." <laughs> you mean it wasn't already? <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, like, that's, but like, normally, like, normally, you, like, normally Bond's like, oh, he's tied to a table and he's got the laser slowly moving up the table. Or like, oh, he's, he's caught in some nefarious trap or something way over the top. Like, no, this was just a dude literally beating the shit out of him. And that's the, the really big shift that. Whenever you go back and try to compare each version of Bond or each version of a Bond story, because that is very yeah. different. Um, <clears throat> like you can easily you can make an argument to say, hey, Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton were technically different Bonds as far as how they approach the character, but their stories were very similar. So mm. it was the same type of Bond stories with a slightly different Bond attached to them. But the the thing that is really important to remember when looking back at all of these different versions of Bond and the Bond stories is the original Ian Fleming source material uh yeah (laughs) it it was meant to be a uh they were meant to be standalone stories that were all around the same character that Mm -hmm. really just like the original movies with connery and uh more um you didn't you know he he didn't really intend it to be serialized there there was a little bit of serialization mm-hmm. that happened in the stories cuz that's just how it kind of, kind of went but it wasn't like you had to read the previous uh Fleming novel to be able to understand the new Fleming novel um it, they were a lot closer to you know the uh, Sherlock Holmes series where you got an appreciation for it by reading the last one but you didn't have to but it was meant to be that fantasy. Hey, you, you get a little, a little bit of reality. You, you get a little bit of the uh, long-term effects of, you know, the the less great habits that he has as a character on him mm-hmm. over time, and you can kind of see that. But it was meant to be fun adventures, more or less, with just a little something, something sprinkled in uh, between. But 
the movies up until Craig were a lot more willing to lean into that uh, individual standalone story, fun adventure kind of approach and forget about that little extra bit of reality that Fleming would sprinkle in between the stories. And Craig's version said, fuck the fun. We're going to sprinkle in fun amongst a whole shit ton of reality and yeah, more brutal stories right and, it, and I, it, I think that's create a really interesting and creative compared to the rest of the franchise well and then they also had a they also had like a bigger overarching story and they also had yeah. plot threads that connected from film to film to film and they had things like you know stuff that like because because craig you know it like craig has has been very open and public about you know, the toll that this playing this character has taken on his body and how, you know, he he's I don't want to say he's a method actor, but he's not like a blockbuster film guy. Like he's an actor's actor and how like the character kind of grew like he grew to somewhat disdain the character. Well, but yeah. that he wanted to come back for this last film because there were plot threads that were introduced in Casino Royale that they wanted to see through to the end. So he was yeah. very committed to, hey, we've started this story. Like like you said, they used to be serialized. They used to be more standalone-ish with like mentions of stuff here and there. But no, like there was a general plot thread that started in Casino Royale that they felt like and Craig felt like they wanted to take through this film to tell a complete story. Which is, yeah. I mean, it's very, it, it's very interesting, you know, to see something like that, especially, you know, with Casino Royale and then Quantum of Solace literally being direct sequels to each other. Or Quantum of Solace literally picks up like an hour after Casino Royale ends. Yeah, uh, we, we've never had an episodic uh, bond before. Uh, it, it's always been that serialized format. I mean, but the, the toll that took on his body... Um, Honestly, I, I feel like, well, that was probably going to happen to some extent or another because Daniel yeah. Craig is just that type of actor. That also right. has a lot to do with, once again, the uh, uh, the contemporary movies of the time uh, during this whole uh, 15 years that he's been Bond. Um, mm -hmm. Because starting in the mid-2000s, uh, we had the era of the action star that was the action star rather than the action star that happened to have some very talented stunt doubles. And that's been uh, the difference between Daniel Craig and some of the other guys that have been within the same genre as him is most of them do like one off two off things or they'll you know only do like maybe three movies spread them out far enough that the the physical toll only goes so far on them uh because they have plenty of time to recover but craig had a lot of back-to-back filming for this stuff uh, there wasn't a lot of downtime for him and they did a lot more stunts than almost anybody else that was his contemporary aside from tom cruise or matt damon and that's I mean, that was always going to have some kind of physical cost to him, even if he, well, and then he also, didn't realize it to begin with. Also take into account as well that, you know, this movie should have come out two years ago. 
Yeah. This movie was originally slated to come out end of 19. Then it got delayed into 20 for a little bit of post-production work. And then fucking the Wuhan flu hit. Seriously, we, we're uncensored, <laughs> hey. but fuck me, sir. <laughs> the, the China pandemic? Why? Why? No, but but so I, I, I'd be more OK with you, uh, with you saying the, uh, you know, the, the day after bat soup something. I mean, just fuck me. <laughs> what can I call it? The wait, wait hang on. Hang on. Uh, let me. <clears throat> I mean, China virus. <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> and fuck but no, but, you but, so much. But, I mean, at, at least, at least the, uh, bat reference would have some relevancy because, you know, uh, Laos, I think it was, just came out with uh, confirmation of bat born ver uh, version of the original strain. So no, I'm just saying. The bat puns uh, feel more timely and topical. I mean, anyway, fuck me. <laughs> but in all seriousness, back to the film. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was it was delayed like two years because of everything going on with the pandemic. So like this is a movie yeah. that was originally supposed to come out back at like the end of 19. And then it was like, well, we're going to bump it into I think it originally got bumped to April of 20 and then of course that got fucking derailed and then it was going to be November of 20 yeah. and then I mean, that got fucking yeah. derailed and then it was supposed to be February of 21 and then that got bumped and then they finally bumped it to October and we're like fuck it we're doing it because I think Daniel's just tired of sitting around waiting But I'm going to go ahead and say uh, this has all just been uh, one big conspiracy by Rami Malek uh, to be able to just add a little bit of right. extra time to hype up his uh, his character acting coming I, off of a coming off of an Oscar going into being the, the fucking Bond villain. Just saying I, I'm I'm starting the uh, the conspiracy theory now. This was all Rami Malek's fault. He, You're probably he's not just wrong. He, he's he's trying to build up more hype. <laughs> but I, it you know, it does say something to the fact that, you know, the other thing, too, is, is that. I remember when they first announced that Daniel Craig was going to be Bond, the, the, it was like Heath Ledger levels of like, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. Like in I terms mean, of the casting announcement. Well, I mean, when you look back on the, the history of Bond and see the. I mean, yeah, even with the massive difference between Connery and uh, Moore's versions, there was still always some uh, specific line uh, of you know, ongoing line of how those characters were all tied together. I mean, right. comparing them to Craig, he definitely felt at face value like he was nothing like those actors he right. didn't have the the same physical uh aesthetic because they all had a certain physical aesthetic when they played bond you know that that very specific look um he wasn't that dark hair uh, dark complexion. hair uh you know more uh angular 
face, angular, uh, you know, uh, jaw, uh, yeah. more of a, a smooth, suave look. Craig just had, uh, especially in that first one, a more naturally rough and uh, kind of So that's the funny thing, too, look. is like Bond almost became a caricature. And I say almost. I mean, he basically did like. <laughs> Those last, I, I those wouldn't last say two. almost. I, I feel like we passed almost after the whole uh, Denise Richards thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I was going to say, like, especially with those last two uh, Pierce Brosnan ones, like he was like the character had become a caricature of like this overly suave, overly sexualized ladies, man. And in comes Craig and Craig walks into a room and he carries that presence of like, yes, he's a good looking guy. Yes, he carries himself and he cleans up nice. But when he takes the jacket off and rolls his sleeves up, he's going to beat you until you piss yourself. And that's something that you never really got with any of the other Bonds. I didn't think at least. Which is funny considering Sean Connery in real life is that. Right. So especially back only, then. Only, well, <laughs> only with women. I, I mean... He would threaten men, but obviously follow through was was very single minded. Yes. God, what was it? God, what fucking what was the God, what's the great line from the Barbara Walters interview? Like, sometimes you just need to oh, give geez. her a good smacking to put her in her place. You're like, what the fuck? No, a, a good backhand. Uh, it, 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 it was always about the backhand because that was, you know, yeah. more gentle. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, it's ge- it's definitely gentlemanly, you know. <laughs> Just give her a nice sure. kick, just give her a nice kiss we'll with, with the that. back of your hand like a gentleman. But no, yeah, we'll uh, go with that. But no, but yeah, <laughs> but no, but Craig really like he, even like when he cleans up in the suit, like that first scene in Casino Royale, like where he's in the suit standing at himself in the mirror, like you see it on his face. He's like, I hate this so much. I clean up. I look really good. But this isn't me. And he kind well, of evolves with it. Over the course of the films, you're like, yeah, he looks good in a suit. He looks good in a nice jacket. He carries himself really well. But when push comes to stuff, when push comes to shove, he's still going to beat the ever living piss out of you with his hands. He wasn't the, oh, gadget this, gadget that. And that's something that was kind of funny, too, is how much they played down on the gadgets in the Craigs. Because, mm. well, gadgets are cool and gadgets are fun. And you're like, oh, it's cool to use that pen that just exploded. Uh-huh. Craig would just much rather beat the shit out of you. Well, I mean, can you honestly tell me that you you could see uh, a laser watch or a, a fucking knife shoe fitting into the Daniel Craig stories? Really? No, God, no. <laughs> but I, I will say one though, one of the points that was brought up just to go back to the well uh, with Wisecrack uh, and their analysis of uh, the characters uh, and the, the various characterizations of uh, Bond uh, was that there was a dual purpose uh, to Daniel Craig recreating uh, Halle Berry's uh, scene from Die Another Day. Uh, mm-hmm. And it wasn't just to try to give a, an equal opportunity, a bit of eye candy for the female audience this time around instead of exclusively the male uh, audience. Um but it also had a secondary benefit of showing, hey, this is Bond. Here is 
everything he is smoothed out and uh, in his prime before all the shit we're about to put him through so that as you see him and his body later on in the movie and in subsequent Mm -hmm. movies you can have that mental point of reference to compare uh, when they show all of the scars and the long-term damage to his body and you can always remember that starting place so that you always remember oh oh this is Mm -hmm. what they're talking about when we keep hearing you know the references to his uh you know how bad his body is holding up and the the long-term damage and okay i see it now i get it it's not just somebody saying a line and it it really does especially going back and re-watching the films uh it does play a very um poignant uh role in this his part uh part of the series without even yep fully realizing it uh when you're watching the scene but it it does stick there and and it works absolutely um you know it's very it's very reminiscent of that scene in the dark knight where he's getting out of the bat suit and getting dressed and alfred's like know your limits master wayne and the camera pads back to just show his back that's all scarred up and bruised and everything like that you're just like jesus fuck but then when you think about everything that craig's been through like in fuck the beginning of fucking skyfall where he gets fucking shot and falls off the train oh yeah i mean like what was it um the uh the scene the scene in it was Spectre uh, that that had the scene of him having to recertify uh, to be a double O, right? No, that was Skyfall because that's oh, yeah, where Skyfall. he gets shot and falls off the train. And yeah. well, he, he he didn't have to get recertified to be a double O. He had to get he basically had to pass the um the aptitude basically to show that he was physically fit enough to perform out in the field again. Yes, yeah. So. That scene to me, but it also, but it's uh, it's felt, also sorry, yeah, to cut you off real quick. Like yeah, that yeah. also shows too, going back to the tragicness of the character. Remember, M is the one that tells Money Penny to take the shot. She misses and hits Bond, and the first thing that he says after, because he goes on hiatus, basically, he thinks just like he just he doesn't come back. And he's basically living on some Caribbean island and he sees the attack at MI6 and he just shows up in M's house and she just looks at him and he looks at her and he says, take the bloody shot. Really? And she just looks at him and says, well, where the hell have you been? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and honestly, I, th- I think that scene for Skyfall more than the scene from the Dark Knight uh, when he's taking off the suit and showing the scars, I honestly feel like it, it's slightly more direct comparison, like that scene specifically, uh, to the scene at the beginning of uh, The Dark Knight Rises. As much shit as that movie gets, mm. um, you have that scene at the beginning of the movie showing uh Bruce Wayne in the the braces and uh, showing mm-hmm. how just completely torn apart his body is from years of fighting and uh, just like 
uh, with Skyfall, as soon as that scene is over, uh, going on to going back out in the field and trying to kind of limp through and, and build up uh, with each new yeah. scene to be able to get to his, you know, quote, prime uh, for the movie at the climax, uh, where somehow that's when his body's back into shape. And, you know, it's exactly how it worked in um, Dark Knight Rises, where, you know, broken at the beginning and trying to build up slowly uh, but through that montage. And then little by little, as the movie goes on, get all the way to the final climax when he's suddenly back in his prime for just for the sake of that final fight. And, you know, it's, yep. it's got that same energy, but obviously one executed the idea better than the other. <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah. The other thing, too, is is don't forget in Skyfall spoilers to anybody that hasn't seen it, but it's fucking three movies ago. Get on that shit. I mean, yeah, plus it's an amazing film um, is when he has the first confrontation with Bardem's character. <laughs> He's like, do you want to know what you scored on the uh, the test? And Vaughn's yeah. just like, well, yeah, I passed. And he's like, no. <laughs> and he tells him flat out, he's like, you were still like approved for field work, even though you failed the physicals, all of them. Well, and physicals he's trying and to basically. Right. Yeah. Thank you. And he's basically trying to use it as a way to get into Bond's head to show him that he's not nearly up to what it takes for him to go after Bardem. But what it really shows is M's basically undying faith to Bond that even though he's not nearly ready to get back into the field, that she's willing to sign off on it because she knows that when it push comes to shove, he's going to get the job done. Well, it was really intriguing because uh, there have been villains in the past for the franchise that have tried to get into Bond's head by saying, oh, well, you're not as good as you think you are. Da, 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 da. Right. That that's fine. So if that's all, uh, you know, ha uh, Javier Bardem's character uh, was trying to do in that scene, uh, then I mean, it, it would be an interesting twist on it. But seeing that, like he just flat out says, um, "What was it that there?" They put him back out in the field because they see you as a disposable piece of meat or what, whatever the. Meat, yeah. Exactly, his line was. Um, I think, it, yeah, because he's like, "Mommy betrayed us" or whatever. Yeah, uh, that. Yeah, I I actually really liked as convoluted as yes, fine, sure. As a villain plot, his uh, his whole scheme was insanely convoluted, uh, and was it overly complicated? Well, yeah, because I mean the the number. You think so? It's it's kind of like the. Uh, well, it's the same argument uh, for how the Joker's uh, scheme in The Dark Knight was overly complicated and convoluted because both of those schemes only work if very specific actions happen and if certain people had very specific reactions. But if one thing didn't happen the way it was supposed to or if one person reacted differently than they were supposed to, the whole thing would have fallen apart. And um, yeah, I, I'll acknowledge but, it's but, a con overly mm. convoluted plot uh, plan. Yes, but it was interesting because he tried to use uh, that whole psychological warfare on Bond to not just get him to lose confidence in himself, but to 
try to uh, empathize with him as the villain to try to turn him, essentially, rather than just well, break not just, him. Not just that either. Yeah. Well, and it was also to get him to lose faith in everything that he stood for, right? Everything that he killed for as a double O. Yeah. Yeah. Like double O's are meant to make sure that, you know, we're still safe. Well, who's we? We are, you know, the free world. We are the civilized countries. We are, you know, the good guys. Everything that Bardem did was to try to get like, are you really? Look at what they did to me. I was you once. And that scene in the fucking holding cell where he I can't remember what it is, but he shows exactly how scarred up and what it did to him when the cyanide pill didn't kill him. Yes. Yeah. And which he's just screaming at him. Yes. Yeah. And he's talking that, that about really how he's like, I did all of this. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like he was basically saying like it needs to be applauded for that one. Yeah, but he's basically sitting there telling M, like, I did all of this for you. Like, I gave you everything. I gave it for my country, and and look at where I am now. Look at what it got me. And that's what he was trying to tell Bond, is that, you know, you think that you're this, you know, you think that you're on the side of right, but are you really? Because they're going to do to you exactly what they did to me when when the time comes. Like they are not well, beholden to anybody. They are not. They are not faithful to you. But yet you were blindly faithful to her, to them. Yeah, and I mean the the topic, uh, the conversation that's come up a lot in recent years about how the the modern uh, action villain um, is really no longer the caricature of a bad guy, but is more often uh, a a villain whose entire premise has become increasingly more relatable to the general public to go, oh, yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. Society is shit because of that. And I honestly, I kind of understand why you're wanting to kill all these people because of whatever, you know, it, it. I mean, I'm. I was never one to go as far as saying Thanos was right, but the fact that anybody uh, was able to look at Thanos and have even a halfway serious uh, response to that of saying, well, I mean, I don't think he was that wrong. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's been an interesting change, but this villain specifically, I mean, somehow I, I, I feel like as the years have passed more and more since Skyfall, um, his argument as a villain uh, for why he chose to try to be the villain of the movie becomes more and more understandable uh, with each Mm -hmm. passing year. I mean, you can easily uh, say that with each passing year as uh, society feels like, you know, people in general are being left behind and forgotten uh, with all of these, uh, you know, with promises of a better time uh, being completely thrown uh, to the wayside and their lives being kind of used as fodder for somebody else's gain or even more now specifically with 
our veterans uh, having the argument of, you know, we put in how many years of uh, battle uh, and now, you know, what was it all for? You know, did what was our lot were our lives being thrown away for somebody else's whatever? Uh, there's more and more uh, relevancy for somebody to look back at his specific argument to go. I mean, was he wrong, though? I mean, yeah, really? And those are the kind of villains that regardless of how convoluted their in-story plot was, I think is why they are such a fantastic villain. Because if you can have a villain whose entire premise of why they're a villain becomes more relatable as time goes on rather than less, that is a very well-written villain, regardless of how depressing the reason why they're relatable is. (laughs) Right. And well, and that's and that's the other thing, too, was with Skyfall, because with Casino Royale and with Quantum of Solace, it was the shadow organization that was, you know, kind of running things behind the scenes and, you know, for their own Mm -hmm. nefarious Mm -hmm. benefit and everything like that. With with Skyfall, it was this guy that was looking to bring down the system because of what the system did to him. And it did this really good job of, you know, in modern times, where do we really sit with if we're supposed to be the good guys? You know, are we really doing the things that are good by sending these people out to do these heinous things in the name of good? Which, like, let's let's not let's not, you know, mince words like what Bond does, like some of the shit that he does is pretty awful. Right. Like we just need to, you know, come to terms with it. But like, you know, what? what the bond films have done a great job of is showing like in this world where you don't know who your enemy is, you don't know the, your enemy could be in the same room with you that the double O program is now more beneficial and more important than it ever has been. And that's something that brought, and that's something that Craig's portrayal of bond is really brought to the table is, you know, the kind of every man, you know, look and way that he carries himself is he isn't this suave, upscale kind of superhero. He's just a guy that's going to do what needs to be done. And, you know, if you get in his way, you're going to have a bad day. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, just to see how much the franchise shifted in tone from one film to the next from fuck. What was the, what was the last Brosnan one? Was that die another day? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To see how much the shift, the, to see how much the franchise tone shifted from die another day to casino Royale. And then it just progressively kept going from there. You were just kind of like, Whoa, like this is, this is a franchise that's no longer like, it's still entertaining, obviously, and it's still telling a story and it's still, you know, a film for entertainment. But this isn't like, ooh, let's do this big action set piece and let's do this and let's get this product placement in and let's get this and let's get that. It's no, this is about story first. And this is more a reflection of the world and society that we live in now than having a good looking dude in a cool car with a hot broad on his shoulder, you know, throw quips back at the bad guy yeah and i mean don't misunderstand we understand that even the new bond movies have just an un 
ungodly amount of product placement. Um, of it's course. become a little bit smoother, but I mean, it's it's all there. We get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, hell, Quantum of Solace uh, was shameless with uh, their car plugs that they did. I mean, hell. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. I it, it is interesting to to see that slightly different mentality for how they're approaching the series mm -hmm. and the storytelling which is obviously very good but I think the thing that Daniel Craig's time as Bond has proved more than anything uh, it is why James Bond has continued to last as long as uh, the character has and why uh, James Bond will continue to stay relevant uh, over mm -hmm. time because the character and the stories around the character have the ability to shift and adapt to the times that we're in and fit the narrative of the type of escapism or the type of reflection that is needed at that moment for right. the genre and it's why I personally have looked at any conversations about, uh, well, who's going to be the next Bond? Uh, well, uh, does it need to be this type of person? You know, uh, what, what about uh, having our first black James Bond or our first uh, female uh, James Bond or whatever? It's why I look at those arguments going, I mean, I don't see why it's an argument. If James Bond has always existed to try to adapt to the times and adapt to the needs of the story or the needs from the character, technically, just like Doctor Who and uh, the decision of who, which actor is going to play the Doctor the next time around, it shouldn't really matter uh, who the actor or actress is that ends up filling the role because... If it fits the need for the character or the need for the stories that uh, are the society needs from the franchise, then it is what it is. And that that's just how it goes. Uh, you don't have to be so hung up on who has always played the character or uh, how the character has always been played. Let it adapt to the times and uh, continue to evolve as needed. I'm I'm fine with that, honestly. Yeah, I don't I don't. You know how I feel about race washing and gender swapping and all of that established characters. I think I think Daniel Craig had a really good response to that when he was asked about it. When he recently I mean, yes. said he's like, we shouldn't be changing the gender of James Bond to give women a bigger opportunity. We should make original characters that are to the caliber of what this role is. And by caliber, he didn't necessarily mean how the character was written or portrayed. He meant like Bond is still like playing James Bond is a big thing. Like being given the honor of playing that character, like they should have female roles that are already that that build up to that equivalency. And oh, without question, you know, he called out he called out Hollywood in a sense, and he called out the entertainment industry for not having roles developed like that. You know, for not doing enough for female 
actors, well, for for actors and actress actresses, um, to not have that role to aspire to, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Now, I think, I think there's been a lot of talk. I know Idris Elba was a lot of talk. There was a lot of talk of Idris doing it, but I think he's coming back to do. Um, oh shit! What's that show that he did? The cop drama that made him big. Um, oh, Luther. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they yeah, just yeah. announced that Luther's coming back. So I think that takes Idris off the table. Uh, maybe, um, maybe not. I, I mean, I feel like if if you have a chance to play James Bond, no matter what your filming schedule is, you make time for it one way or another. Well, that mean, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's fair. Um, well, you know, if we're going to go on that, what what about the first American Bond? Technically, we already got our first American Bond. Technically. Uh, So if you go back, um, you had. uh, Where was it? Um, It was. I believe it was uh, David Nivian. Um, Talking about from the original Casino Royale. Uh, no, no. Okay, so there was, uh, there was, uh, an attempt at an American adaptation. Um, so it it was, it was an American attempt at, uh, making a James Bond, uh, equivalent. And they renamed James Bond, Jimmy Bond. Um, yeah, you're done. Yeah. And that, that was a thing technically. But yeah, yeah, no, nobody took it seriously. Um, yeah, no. Barry Nelson. But why not? Why there not? It is. Barry Nelson. But why don't we do an American Bond, or why don't we do like? Well, because America already Russian has Bond. plenty of uh, big name and classic uh, spies. Uh, we don't need to name take uh, a British spy franchise and Mission Impossible. Other than Jason. Uh, other than Jason Bourne and other than Ethan Hunt. Well, okay. Name another big British uh, spy franchise uh, that isn't centered around James Bond. Well, right. There that's, isn't. That's the what point. I'm saying you don't is, need is that... to Americanize James Bond. James Bond, by uh, the character's very nature, is British. If you make James well, Bond American... Actually, technically, he's he's actually technically Scottish. Well, he's British in the sense of if you are from the United Kingdom, all members of the UK can be considered uh, British technically, even though they're not from. No, I thought they would all be considered. I thought they were all be considered English. No, English is if you are from England British is if you're from uh, the UK or the British Empire Um, fair and so because the whole James Bond origin came from trying to reinvigorate uh, the uh, the positive sentiments of the British Empire after the fall of the British Empire um, I, I feel like if you tried to genuinely Americanize James Bond the entire 
thing, the, the essence of Bond that makes the character so unique would disappear. Um, and he, well, wouldn't, uh, Bond wouldn't would just the same become thing a generic you... spy again, which you don't want. Well, wouldn't the same thing happen if you made Bond a female? No, because here's the thing. A, a female uh, Bond would still work uh, as Bond because, number one, if they're still British, it's still a British uh, spy. Number two, there's always been the ongoing fan theory that James Bond is not the character's legal name that just like right. 007 is the code given. name assigned right. to the person that gets the role. Um, and officially, if you wanted to, you know, I don't see a making Bond a an, uh, a different race other than white as white uh, as, uh, you know, the reverse whitewashing race swapping or race swapping uh, of uh, James Bond because while officially yes the Ian Fleming version of Bond is very much a white guy there's nothing about Bond that is explicitly innately required to be white there's nothing about his character that says oh this is only possible to be a white guy so i don't see a problem changing uh you know letting a non-white actor play bond but to be a uh an actress that plays bond oh absolutely british because he's bond is a british character but to make bond a an actress mm. instead of an actor uh i see that as fine because all you have to do is for the branding purposes just don't make them James Bond. Make the movie branded as 007. Uh, and you, you don't need to go and then say, it's oh, it, it's uh, Jasmine Bond or whatever. It's just the the new mo- uh, movie of 007 and just give the character the last name of Bond, of like Sasha Bond or whatever. I mean, hell, you have the, the you know, this new uh, newest entry to the franchise. Uh Lashana Lynch's character of Nomi, mm-hmm. Nomi, Nami. Mm-hmm. I, I have not heard the. I, I don't remember if I've heard the name said out loud. So I apologize if I uh, butcher it. But you know she's the latest double O, and it, there is of course the the fan uh, casting option out there of hey, doesn't it makes the most sense of her taking over the role of Bond after Daniel Craig? Because she's already in the story being set up as his a successor. So you just keep the franchise going as, you know, the, the double O Bond films keep literally the same uh, episodic story going on with her taking over as the main character and you're good to go. Just don't make her a a new James per se. But then it wouldn't be a Bond film. No, but it it would would be a double O film that if she's given the code uh, name of Bond, it all still fits. And so now it it makes James Bond truly uh, a big screen equivalent of Doctor Who uh, rather than right, the only, just the, what it is. The only problem with that fan theory, though, is is that it's been debunked that that is the oh, character's yeah. name. No, absolutely. Uh, and that's fine. So, um, but that doesn't but mean why, that you can't I, retcon it. 
I mean, retconning happens all the time. Well, sure, but I guess my problem that would be is in a series that has become more about being based in realism as much as possible, like how the Craig ones have been. Uh -huh. Does that make sense to just be like, hey, just kidding. This is actually what we meant. Ignore everything that we just did for the last 15 years. Well, they don't necessarily have to do that. I mean, if they don't want to do any retconning, uh, like I said, they just rebrand the next uh, set of films as 007. Um, just don't worry about the Bond name per se and continue on with uh, your new 007 and do whatever you want with it or, you know, make the next movie uh, give... Uh, you know, the whoever becomes the next Bond, uh, the last name of Bond or give uh, if it's another guy, give him the name of James Bond again. And you can just say, hey, this is a new thing that the uh, the position of 007 specifically is given the code name of James Bond as a legacy uh, to the original 007. Uh I mean, you can explain it away however you want without it uh, being, you know, feeling like it's a retcon per se. It, it just requires uh, somebody creative enough to come up with an explanation for it. But I, guess I personally don't see that being a problem to change the race of Bond or change the gender of Bond. It There are ways around that for branding uh, purposes to keep the franchise correct per se. But then I guess my only pushback to be is why would why would it be a thing to change the nationality then? Uh, it wouldn't be changing nationality. You would be. Oh, well, why would it be a problem? Change nationality because changing yeah. nationality. It means that you're saying it's no longer British. The character is 100 percent British and uh, an element of uh, British culture in the British society. If you take that away you're removing one of the fundamental aspects of the character that makes the character who they are like that that well, was built in from the beginning it would be that? like saying um we're gonna go ahead and change for the the next indiana jones film uh indiana indiana jones is no longer gonna be american uh we're gonna make uh indiana jones whatever indiana jones by his very nature uh and the the base essence of the character has to be American because it, it, it the American spirit the American culture is baked into every aspect of what motivates the character to do what he does you, you can't do, change the nationality of uh, James Bond you can't ch change the nationality of Indiana Jones it, it it is innate to the character. Right. But what I'm but so is the fact that he's a male. Doesn't have to be. It can, like I said, it can be changed. Now, 
isn't necessarily the best move to make uh, the next James Bond a woman. Maybe, maybe not. I, uh, I think Daniel Craig is right on the nose by saying, well, why change the character of James Bond to a woman rather than just try to create a good franchise like James Bond, but that is intended to be uh, a female lead? I think that is perfectly fine and honestly has some, you know, has a lot of merit to it. Um, the biggest thing. Because here's uh, my, the, here's. Uh, sorry, go. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say the biggest thing uh, that I just, I find ridiculous is whether or not you agree with or uh, whether or not James Bond should be a potentially uh, a, a woman down the line. Um, I think it's just one of the dumbest things ever to say, well, James Bond must be white because he's always been white. There's nothing specific about James Bond that says he has to be white. You can make the argument that James Bond has to be male because of da 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 but there's absolutely zero bit, uh, aspects of his character that makes James Bond James Bond that says he has to be white. That's just been an ongoing tradition from what the uh, character was originally but that's it well right but that's well doesn't that also then tell you that that's how the character should be portrayed is the way that the character was created no i mean a, a character like james bond that is designed and has evolved to be flexible with the times and adapted to fit what society needs from the character and from the character's stories at that moment in history by that very definition means that every uh that the character's portrayal is flexible which means if race is not if there's not some aspect of the character that the race is explicitly required to be this for that character then race is on the table to be uh, just as flexible as camp or as uh, the the brutality levels that the character portrays or whatever. It, it It's not an absolute requirement of the character because the race is not baked into what motivates the character to be who they are. Well, not motivate, but if it... I mean, that... Wouldn't that kind of be the same thing as taking an established comic book character and changing their race just because you want to? Same origin story, same name, same history, just, hey, now we're making them Hispanic. Or now we're um, making them Asian. A, it worked with Miles Morales, and B... At no point well, no, that's, in that's the, a, the Bond franchise has his origin ever been officially established. It's That's always been a flexible thing. Uh, they've never made a hard line in the sand that says this is his definitive origin. Every Bond has had a, diff, a slightly different origin if they've even bothered talking about uh, his origin in the first place. Uh, I was about to say, I think the only origin that the characters ever actually gotten in terms of actually delving into it was Craig's with Skyfall. They hint yeah. at it through other films. But yeah, orphan, recruited, blah, 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 parents died young, blah, 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 all that fun stuff. Yeah. So there's nothing about James Bond that says his origin has to be X. Uh, and there's nothing about James Bond that says his race has to be X. 
Um, that's just how the character has been. Well, do, doesn't it now, though, that, that you established his... But doesn't it now, though, now that you've established his origin in this film series? Not necessarily. I, I, just, I mean, I don't understand. The, the only argument. reason why you would need to change uh, to try to keep a white male actor as James Bond absolutely would be if you wanted to continue on this exact story. But if you wanted to uh, shift from this story and just keep the same support actors uh, in place like you've had before with other bond uh, change outs where you had a new bond, but mm -hmm. the, the side characters were all the same. Um, mm -hmm. That would be perfectly fine to say, OK, well, now we have no reason why it has to be uh, James Bond has to be white. Because just because we're bringing back, um, uh, oh, Ralph Finnis finds Rafe finds Rafe. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's Rafe Ralph. Fiennes. It's Ralph. R-A-L-P-H. Rafe. Rafe? It's the, the really? Ellis Island. It's, it's Rafe finds. Yeah. Oh, Rafe finds. Uh, so the, I mean, there's no reason why Rafe finds can't come back as M, uh, with a different bond and just, no longer being part of this episodic story, you know, uh, right, the next bo you, bond goes you do back see, to though, the. That, you do see though that Ray Fiennes isn't playing Judy Dench's M. He's actually like a completely different human being. Yes, that M is just the code name, but James Bond isn't a code name. James Bond is that specific human being. Yes. So what I'm saying is, if if you wanted to keep with this. Uh, sequential uh, fully canonic story from uh, movie to movie then yeah you have uh, an argument to say why you need uh, James, the next Bond to be white and male but if you keep the same actors but just get rid of this whole story and say we're going back to the one-offs you don't need uh, context we're going to do the classic Bond thing or you're just going to keep the same characters but start a new um uh, set of uh, episodic stories sure. then I don't see why you would have to absolutely cast a white man for Bond you could cast any other race you wanted uh, and it would fit perfectly fine because you're no longer in that same story canon <sighs> See, I think that's just you where you and I are going to disagree on this, because I think the fact that this character has been portrayed this way for 50 plus years, you are still in this technically story canon because well, there had... are still elements of the story that carry from bond actor to bond actor to bond actor. Like they but don't completely had and totally change his origin. We've had multiple superheroes that changed sure. race. Yes, their names change, uh, like their actual names changed, but the superhero name right. is the same. I mean, was but, it a problem also that because... Jane Foster became Thor or that Miles Morales became Spider-Man and in their universe no, they were the Thor or the Spider-Man? But that's that's also because they were completely different characters, though. That's like taking Thor Odinson and just making him an Asian female. Yeah, or that would be like taking Peter Parker and making him a Hispanic transgender human being. But like if these you're are no longer in the same canonic story, 
you're not stuck to the fact that James Bond is the character's legal name. You're back to having it all open and flexible, which means you don't have to stick with an absolute portrayal of Bond. You could but be then, flexible But then so you're talking about essentially rewriting the history that you've just laid forth for the last 60 years. Well, the reason I think the reason why Bond has been uh, so flexible and so endearing or sorry, enduring over as many decades as James Bond has existed as a character is because Mm -hmm. traditionally there is no master canon from start to finish. And Daniel Craig's character Mm. of bond having a consistent canon has worked for these specific stories but if we were to change all bond and say now from this point on all new bonds must stay within the same canonical uh set of history um you're now tying the hands of all future writers and directors to say that uh, that you have to stick to the groundwork that has been laid by your predecessors and you're now creating the same problem that you had when uh, Disney bought Star Wars and had to try to stick with Star Wars's past canon or start from uh, start fresh and say well no only the movies uh, were canon before um the more and more you keep as consistent canon for a character that is intended to last through the decades, the harder and harder it's going to be to keep that character relevant because now you're putting mandatory pieces of history in there that you cannot diverge from. And that has never been the strength of the bond franchise. No, but it's been done in other mediums. Like what? What uh, what what other medium has been able to have the exact same canon, the exact same history for decades on end uh, without causing problems or without retconning pieces of their own history, at least? Comics. Bullshit. Every comic has uh, has had to retcon their own history or restart their history in order to continue their stories. Every one of them. Marvel has tried saying the 616 universe never restarted its history, but they've retconned a shit ton of it so that it made sense. Sure, they've retconned it, but that also doesn't mean that they've gone back and necessarily completely and totally altered their history. They didn't go back and rewrite Steve Rogers' origin story. No, but they, they've had to go back and change enough things about their uh, the Marvel's history that technically it's not the same history. If you're looking at it from the deep, fine details, Marvel's history well, I understand. Uh, back uh, in its origins to now, it's not the same history, mm-hmm. even though officially their statement is it's all one canonical history that's not how it's been treated really dc has had to restart their history over and over again because they write themselves into a corner all the time um bond but what's what's the one thing that doesn't change the characters their origins how they're represented really what about the Ultimates universe? Same characters. It's a completely uh, different universe. Why are you it's assuming that Bond? History. Why are you saying assuming that Bond is the same universe? When has Bond ever shown a universe that is 
our universe or even the same universe, uh, implying that past villains or past historical events from one movie happened in the next, other than Daniel Craig's uh, instance. I mean, that's fair, but then technically, so now we just assume James Bond is a multiverse. If you really want to get into the details, James Bond is a multiverse. Okay, so now we're actually getting somewhere. Yeah. So now, I mean, if we if we set those ground rules, then it makes sense. But yeah. to just come right out and say that we can change whatever we want because there's no set history. Yes, I, that's an easy cop out and that's a lazy cop out. Well, it's the same difference to say uh, to say it's a multiverse versus to say there's no set history for Bond uh, is the same concept. The only difference is what terminology are you using? Because a multiverse well, no. says With that, multiverse. well, each new story, there is no history uh, that you have to adhere to. But saying, well, well, no, with them, Bond is not intended to have a canonical story from one movie to the next. Typically, unless that is the choice of this director and this version of the franchise, it's the same idea. Not really, because multiverses established that this is a new history starting in a completely different universe. They're not saying that what happened before didn't happen. They're it saying that we are taking it. a different. Not always. They do acknowledge them from time to time, especially when you cross over universes and that kind of stuff. But oh. to say that it's its own standalone universe would be completely different from saying, well, we're just not going to adhere to anything that happened in the past and we're just not going to recognize it. If you establish it as its own multiverse, then you establish it as its own multiverse and then you go forward from there. But to just well, say, I well, we're just not going to follow the past just so we can retouch story plots or we can kind of change whatever we want is just a bastardization of the overall story. All right, give me one example uh, from Bond's history where aside from Daniel Craig's run, sure, even within the same Bond actor uh, in their movies, when has there ever been a direct reference to events in a previous movie? ever two seconds and by the way no simply saying uh talking about a uh, a past lover that bond has had and maybe making an offhanded uh just uh, description of them that might kind of line up with uh the bond girl from the last movie doesn't count because you know if it's not if the name isn't said it's not necessarily that same Bond girl. So when has uh, there ever been a direct reference between Bond movies implying that they were actually canon together? Hang on. Keep talking. I'm looking it up. I mean, that that's the thing. It never has. I mean, yeah, there was a little bit of that during the uh, actual books from Ian Fleming, but that's not how the movies have been treated. The movies have always been a different beast than the books. They are they were every one of the movies has been meant to be a standalone story that could just be here's James Bond. This is the type of story that we're dealing with. And if we're keeping with the same bond that we had last time, this is how the story is going to develop uh, because this is how this bond is treated. So that those are the base rules you have to start with. Now make something. 
I mean... Hang on, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. If you've never had a past reference to any type of canon for history or story, then you don't have to use the multiverse argument because there has never been an official canon to create a need for a multiversal argument and in fairness the multiversal argument for changing uh, changes to characters has really only ever needed to be a thing for comic books because of the history of comic books how long uh, individual characters or individual stories run for before resetting or changing or whatever um the multiverse realistically was created for comics because comic stories changed and were adjusted so many times over the decades that they had to be able to create some in-story explanation for why uh, you would have so many different portrayals of Batman um, or so many different portrayals of whoever that do not line up as far as... So... That's clearly not the same character. I mean, yeah, it's Bruce Wayne's Batman, but that's not the same Bruce Wayne as that Bruce Wayne as that Bruce Wayne. To put it into context, yes, they reference Bond's dead wife at the end of Honor Majesty's Secret Service in several of the Dalton films. And do they mention how she died or why? They visit like they and. And in Roger Moore's, actually. So Roger Moore actually visits the character's grave. Okay. So it is the same canonical character. And then uh, in License to Kill, somebody asks one of the characters why Bond doesn't like weddings. And the reference or the line is, is Bond was married once and it didn't end well. But did they ever go into detail place after- to say well, that those... it was the same wife or the same cause of death or any of that? Well, considering that it was after the Timothy Dalton ones, which are sorry, those were the Timothy Dalton ones, which were after the Roger Moore ones, which in Roger Moore's, he directly visits the character's grave. I'm I mean, going sure. to say yes, that there is a continuing canon. But if it's not explicitly said uh, that this is the same person, same cause of death, same everything. That's not technically any different than saying, hey, uh, the same actor has played Money Penny uh, or M across this number of movies. Uh, and just, but just because that actor has been the same character every single time doesn't necessarily mean it's the same version of the character. That just happened to be a now plot point that they stuck to. Right. Well, then why stick to the plot point if it's not the same person? Because of the just time bad they writing? found it to be. In- no, they. it was a plot point that uh, a lot of the writers just uh, could say, hey, that's an interesting idea. Let's run with it and see how many times we can use it to explain uh, Bond's character and character development. Cool. This makes sense. That's a. Well, considering the fact that they don't really dive into it outside of just mentions to past events, that wouldn't really be that argument wouldn't really carry water if they actually dove into it with Dalton's character to talk about why. Then that's one thing. But 
to say it in such a matter-of-fact way, it does show connection. And the fact that when Brosnan, in his first film, is given his watch by Q, Q says, here's your 20th. I mean, it implies. A lot of that is implication. It's It's not outright definitive canon, like Daniel Craig's has been. That's the now, difference. What it's implied the argument connection, is, not absolute. No, that's di- that's direct connection. But to say that this is your twentieth watch in the twentieth film, that's a direct connection. The fact that it's a different nod actors to the are, history of the franchise, right? Which is a shared history, which is a canonical story that carries from film to film. Now, what the argument is, that, but it is. Any direct connection between the films is always implied with passing references. Like you just said, there is no explicit description uh, to say it's an absolute connection. It's all implied, all fun references that were made for the sake of uh, the writers having fun, but never explicitly this is the same story. It's always just been assumed or implied. So Roger Moore visiting George Lagenby's dead wife's grave is just an implied connection. If the writers from that point on uh, all just agreed that, hey, he has a dead wife. Her name was this. Cool. Okay, let's do it. But that's a connection. That's not an implied connection. That is an actual story thread that connects film to film. Yes, but it's. It, it is not enough to say that uh, it, everything has been 100% canon. Therefore, you can't change the character. You can't change the race of the character. You can't change uh, history of the character in a new movie. All of it is implied and intentionally vague because they, uh, they have always tried to push for flexibility. See, I completely disagree. The fact that they even bring up plot threads from film to film is a direct connection. Now, the thing that's brought up is that with Casino Royale, the canon was essentially reset because it was explicitly the first film or it was the first novel in Fleming's books. And it was purposely meant to be a restarting of essentially the character for a modern storytelling perspective. Okay, there's an easy way to be able to prove that references for character backgrounds is not an absolute connection of stories between them. Multiple stories, the fallout from the defeat of the villain would have had massive global implications on uh, environmental impact or uh, societal impact because of things that got damaged, things that changed, things that happened because of that previous villain. None of those impacts, none of those effects that should have been massive and wide-reaching are ever seen or even implied in subsequent films. Well, except for the fact that Roger Moore, if I remember right, it's Roger Moore specifically goes and kills Dr. No for killing his wife. Okay. But if the effects of the villains, the uh, each villain's actions 
that should have been seen on society or on whatever are never brought up, never shown. Uh, like say, you know, um, whenever you've had a uh, mass destruction uh, in a Bond film uh, and that's never shown uh, the, the implication that should have been there of the long term uh, build uh, rebuild from that destruction or the long term societal damage that would have happened because of that. If that never comes up, then the world around Bond is not actually affected from movie to movie by past villains. It's just his personal well, because backstory that is connected between them. Because the villain never succeeds. No, but a lot of things happen in uh, the attempt for Bond to stop them that would still cause consistent damage every time, that would still cause societal changes because of X, Y, or Z. Like what? When you have massive destruction in one movie to a city and it doesn't ev and then in a next another movie, you go back to the same city and you see no evidence of uh, the financial or societal impact of the previous uh, destruction that happened because of Bond's adventures. That's not showing but what, connection. But what what films reuse the same cities from film to film? How many global catastrophes happened in Bond films? None, because they were all thwarted. That's the point. There were starts to global catastrophes. There were starts to everything that caused damage. He Bond sure, would always my, stop it before things my, ha uh, went too far. Right, but it was all in a centralized location. Like it, it wasn't in like. Like, they didn't halfway melt the polar ice cap, and then he was stopped. So you're or telling they didn't me release that none of the villain's of nerve toxin changed agent. society? No. So the fact that a villain was able to create a certain type of uh, weapon of mass destruction or was able to create uh, some kind of major thing that had massive negative implications that should have never been able to uh, exist in the first place. There wouldn't be any kind of implications on what society would have changed moving forward for, say, what we've seen in real life of, you know, new security uh, measures that have to get implemented across societies because, hey, this thing happened over here. And now if we don't add new security measures or new whatever measures, uh, this could happen again. You're saying no villain has ever had uh, any major catastrophic plan that would have forced societal change in some noticeable way from movie to movie. None. I guess my question would be name one because a singular agent was able to stop them. A singular agent that is given every MacGuffin uh, and uh, deus ex machina that the writers can come up with. I, yeah. Just saying. I, I, isn't that the same thing as you saying that references to past events don't count as shared canon? Well, these guys were stopped, so why would we look into it any further? We move on with Be our lives. 
because in real life, even failed uh, attempts at uh, a mass event still uh, shows the weaknesses that caused that thing to have uh, been possible in the first place and causes changes to happen to fix it for the future. Com completely agree. That's real life. But in the same vein of that, it still happens in the future. People yes. still try even if they're stopped. But to yeah. say that. So if you're saying that it would create a copycat, sure. But to say that <laughs> things would automatically change just because some guy tried to do something. Hey. <laughs> Reagan, uh, you know, somebody shot JFK and then another person uh -huh. shot uh, or tried to try to shoot Reagan. And from then on, no, they didn't try. They did. Well, try to kill. Sorry. Try to kill Reagan. Sure. Um, and from then on, uh, the way that all presidential appearances uh, happened changed drastically in, in the way that uh, the public was affected by a presidential appearance. Uh, was sure, that's why every time that that is a societal why, change that is tangible. Right. And that's why Kennedy was the first president that was shot as a sitting president, right? Yeah. How no. many? In modern times, eh. prior to Kennedy, who was the last one? Well, 60 years ago isn't exactly modern, if we're being 100% honest with ourselves. Modern as far as the grand scheme of history. But prior to uh, Kennedy, who was the last president that was shot? Uh, what, Chester, Chester A. Arthur? Or was and it Cleveland? How many years difference was that? We're, we're talking half a century or so? Which is half a century now. So why does that count as modern times, but the one before it didn't? Because you're not talking about a 50 year difference between movies. Uh, immediately after fair. the the, sh uh, the shooting of a president, society saw a massive change. Uh, in reality, saw massive changes in reaction to that. In reaction to the actions of a James Bond scenario, there would be immediate massive changes to try to cover, uh, fix that. I mean, how many kidnapping of major public figures happened in James Bond movies? You're telling me that uh, after one kidnapping uh, and attempt at ransom of a major public figure uh, by one villain of a Bond film that there wouldn't have been some change to uh, attempt to prevent it the next time? And that well, how many, the second uh, how many kidnapping would have been okay? around kidnapping? Wasn't uh, like two or three? I don't think so. At least. I know they're all designed to... Generally, the way that I remember it is Bond villains are usually either trying to destroy something or make money off of something. Yeah, destroy something or, or you know, hold for ransom or whatever. Yes. Right, but not an individual person, and it's not known to the a public. A leader. Eh. Who? Die Another Day uh, had uh, the technically the kidnapping of mil of a uh, military general. And that was the last film before the reboot. Yes. Uh, Which we've established that it, it hasn't been officially established, but with Craig being given his first double O assignment, 
in Casino Royale that it would technically count as a new canon. Look, I'm I'm telling you, things would change even from a failed attempt at uh, a major catastrophic event. The fact that it doesn't sure. in the movies implies that any passing connection between movies is strictly backstory, not uh, not societal canon, not historical canon. That well, that's right, the thing. but if it wasn't if it wasn't public knowledge, it wouldn't. Because how many terrorist attempts have been thwarted that we don't know about and nothing's changed? Look, we're, From the public we're, we're taking the Bond movies way too seriously. All I'm saying is the directors, the, the studios have all very explicitly said that each movie is its own thing. Just because a writer chooses to incorporate elements of a previous story doesn't change the fact that the directors in the studios have all been very upfront that this I've, is its own Bond movie. It's its own thing. When it, I've never seen or heard that. So when was that established? When have they said that it was connected? Well, you just said that they came out and said that it wasn't. Like you just directly said that they came out and yes. said that it wasn't. So when did that happen? I can look it up, but you do understand that we've been arguing about James Bond and the concept of canon within James Bond now for almost two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Give or yeah. take. So I feel like if we have any listeners still sticking around, we should probably, uh, you know, give them a, a little bit of a break. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, James Bond, I don't see a problem changing uh, elements that are not absolutely required to be part of the character uh, in order to adapt the character for modern times of th that particular movie. I have no problem with it. I, I know obviously you'd differ, but we'll agree to disagree on this one. Eh. So with that, guys, thank you so much for sticking around for this. We'll say not too crazy tangent. <laughs> uh as always, we appreciate you uh, listening to us. And if uh, you have not already, please do be sure to uh, go and like and follow us over on Facebook, like and subscribe over on YouTube. And uh, to be able to get more uh, of this audio goodness from us, uh, go check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio and Stitcher because reasons. So, yeah. Mike, do you think we, uh, we, we we talked enough about Daniel Craig and his time as uh, James Bond? I would say so. I just I will be very interested to see where they take the character um, and how long of a break we have in between the characters. Now that I think about it, what we had like an eight year gap between Brosnan and Craig. I think yeah, Brosnan was like 98 or 99. Yeah, give like a take. seven or eight year gap. So hopefully we don't have to wait that much longer. But I guess we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. Absolutely. So with that, we uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, until next time, I'm Brad. That's Mike. We're Dallas Geek. And uh, oh, excuse me. see ya.